October, Friday the 13th, 1989, Jimmy Wade Martin's body was found on a street in the small town of Bonterre, Missouri. When there are witnesses, a murder weapon, and a taped confession, how exactly does a murder become a cold case? This case has not ended by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of people in that town's not going to. You know, talk. rumor has it it was big brawl, big bar fight. County jail. We have been working so hard on this. I can't be silent anymore. You know, like you know that guy that got killed here last night. There was rumors going around like the next day. We started doing a lot with Facebook. The question is, what happened to Jimmy Wade Martin? From Blueburn Productions. This is Small Town Forgotten. I'm your host, Chris Halsey. Thank you all for joining us again for this special part two of our third episode. We released part one earlier this week, and I talked to Jimmy Wade's aunts, his friend Richard, and his widow, Diane. In this part, I talk with Jimmy Wade's three sisters, Dana, Jeannie, and Dawn, to get a better idea of the person that Jimmy was. I think it's important for you to hear from the people who really knew Jimmy Wade. This is not just a story about an unsolved murder. It's more than that. It's also a story about the people who are changed and damaged by that murder. These testimonies are not just for you to hear what kind of person Jimmy Wade was, but so you can hear and hopefully begin to understand how this murder still hurts, even three decades later. How the case had seemed to be solved because a man confessed, and then the case was dropped, and then nothing. How they tried to move on, but they can't. And how these people are still suffering from the unanswered questions. It isn't just a scar. It's an open wound. These interviews were some of the hardest conversations I've had concerning Jimmy Wade's murder because I know it was so difficult for them to talk about it. To be completely honest, before we spoke, I wasn't even sure that they would talk to me at all. Jimmy was the second oldest of his siblings. Dana was his motherly older sister, and from what I can tell, was always the center of positivity in the family. Jeannie was the third oldest, and so close in age to Jimmy that people often thought they were twins. They were even in the same grade in school. Growing up, they were best friends. Jeannie is quick and direct. Dawn is the youngest, the baby of the family. I've known her my entire life, but I've never heard her called Dawn. My family has always called her Dodie. She is a bit more reserved and quiet. She told me that she looked up to Jimmy Wade as her older brother and protector. Not only did these women lose their brother, but all three experienced a seismic shift in their belief system when he was murdered. They took for granted that they were protected and safe in a small town where everybody knows everybody. What happened still affects them. It still affects their thoughts and their choices for their own families. I know that they all discussed with each other whether or not to talk to me about the murder, and I am very grateful that they all agreed to do it. Hello? Dana? Yes. Hey, this is Chris. Halsey. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I know you've I'm talked good. to Sean. Thanks. Yep, I've talked to Sean a couple of times. I appreciate you guys so much doing this. This is wonderful. 
uh, what you guys have took on, and the twins have been amazing. They are forced to reckon with. They really are. They. Um, <laughs> I can't. I just. I couldn't believe when we met for the first time, and they started showing me everything that they had done. I just. I was blown away. Yeah, uh, we have over the years have given you know pictures that we've come across of their dad and. We had all the newspaper clippings and different yeah. things, and Jeannie had all that. And she, well, of course, I had it too, but we didn't double up on it. We just Jeannie gave her all of their stuff, or her stuff, and so hopefully that kind of helped them go in the oh, right direction. Yeah. Some well, of it, I'm some sure, a lot of the anyway. stuff I have probably came yeah. from you guys. It might have. It might have. Every time I've come across pictures, um, I've given them to them, and uh, then Jeannie, I know she had all the corners report and all that stuff so yep. she was like a dog with a bone when this happened uh to be honest she she went around and talked to the people and asked questions and um her and jimmy were close in age right and so they were two peas in a pod practically and um what one didn't think of the other one did uh was pretty much they're growing up but when he died she uh, well when he was murdered she um she, I think she went around and questioned all the neighbors and, you know, actually the police. I think she just went as far as she could go. And wow. I think it got to the point to where she had to start letting some of it go because it was eating her up and affecting her, her family, her children. What was important to Jimmy? What did, what did Jimmy hold dear? Family. Um, there was, uh, he's just family. He loved family. Uh, we love get togethers and he loved Diane and them girls and him and my mom were extremely close. Um, Jimmy was real sick when he was little and, um, mom just, I mean, she slept with him on her chest cause he had asthma, I think it was. And, uh, but he was definitely a mom's boy and she, uh, definitely, um, favorite jimmy you know is that boy mom relationship you know and um but he loves family what kind of person was jimmy growing up what was he like as a kid he was a boy all boy (laughs) all boy (laughs) when we moved down here the first summer we lived in st louis and mom kept pretty close reins on us when we lived in st louis she wouldn't let us just go off the park was across the street. She would let us go there, but she kept pretty tight reins on us. But when we moved down here, we were like birds out of a cage, you know. And um, the first summer, you know, he was just like a banshee, you know. He just just went went. But he was just, he was a good brother, but he was, um, he was a boy. And he was all boys. And, uh, but um he was a good brother and um, he was my baby brother and um, loved him dearly, but he was definitely, he wasn't climbing it. He was going over it. If he wasn't going over it, he's going under it or through it. (laughs) (laughs) He was just all boy. He was just all boy. Oh, that's funny. He loved life. And when you were around him, it was contagious. I mean, from playing volleyball in grandma's yard, to uh, just sitting and visiting, wrestling with the boys or whatever it was, he was he was always he was always just happy and loved to be around family and always had a good time. Um, you know, he never um, um, 
he never appeared to be um, upset or troubled about anything, you know, as when we got together, he always was excited to be with the family. And if he had the girls, it was all about the girls or, you know, just whatever was going on. But Jimmy loved life and he was contagious. It was contagious. He, uh, he enjoyed being around Jimmy. Do you remember where you were when when you got the call or when someone told you what had happened? Yeah, I was at home, um, and um, we got a knock on the door. And answered the door, and it was Daddy, you know, and he proceeded in telling us. And um, when he was talking to me in the hallway, of course, you know, we were, I was horribly upset, and my, my oldest son was in his bedroom and uh, he jumps up out of his bed and he starts screaming let go of my mom you let go of my mom you know and uh, Dodie went in to console him you know and while daddy was talking to Gary and I but yeah I don't think I'll ever live long enough to forget that night the horror on mom and dad's face um, you just don't ever want to see that Mom and Dad were never the same. Um, our family get-togethers were never the same. Dinner was never the same because Jimmy wasn't there. And um, but Mom, she she never got over. She actually took it to the grave with her. Mom, I think Mom grieved herself to death. She never got over losing Jimmy. And uh, now Daddy, he um, hadn't smoked in ten years. And he just picked up the cigarettes and started smoking again. But the day it happened, Daddy was out in the front yard, and Gary and I were there. My dad was walking around in circles. And like I said, some things you never forget, some things you can't remember, but there's some things that just stick with you. And I watched my dad walking around in the front yard, and Grandma was walking behind him. And he kept saying, my God, Mom, they killed my boy. They killed my boy. He'd say that, and then he'd stop me, turn around, and he'd say, Mom, what am I going to do with Nisi? Which that's what they call, he called my mom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but Daddy, it was almost like he turned white-headed right before my eyes. Uh, when something like that hits your family, even sisters, you know, I know the girls, Mom and Dad, how they grieve, we watched them. And I know the girls, you know, lived their life without their dad and Diane without her husband. And, but I think when evil like that hits your family, it changes the whole, your whole way of thinking. So it affects you. You don't, you don't go unscathed. That's for sure. You, you carry it with you. Person that took my brother's life, stole time from his daughter, most importantly, those girls grew up without their daddy, without knowing what a wonderful man he was. Because he was. Did he have flaws? Absolutely. But he was a good, hardworking man. And he cherished those girls. And he loved Diane. And I think if he hadn't died, he'd still be married to Diane today. Because they loved each other. I will talk to my sisters, sisters a dozen times a day and I never hang that phone up that I don't tell them I love them. And uh, we're just a close family. And um, it would be nice to have closure to this. But one other thing I want to tell you, too, 
course, it's Stone Mountain, you know, but the last words that Jimmy said to my mom was, I love you. And, you know, a lot of families fight and don't get along. Ours always has. And, uh, but him telling mom, that mom hung on to that, you know, through all her grieving, she, you know, that was the last words he said to her that he loved her. Because he had called her and she told him to be careful. And he said, oh, I will. He said, I'll, I'll be careful. And I don't know what all the conversation was. He said, I love you, Mom. And that was his last word he said to her. I spoke with Dana for almost an hour. Something like this, a death in the family by a murder, it has a reverberating effect throughout the years. You should know, especially if you're one of the people who actually know what really happened, you should know that Jimmy Wade was not the only one who suffered that night. That Jimmy Wade's parents, especially his mother, never recovered from the tragedy. She died when she was only 58 years old. And Jimmy's sisters, they didn't just lose their brother. They feel they lost their parents as well. What's up, True Crime Podcast listener? Hope you're enjoying Small Town Forgotten, a podcast that takes place from my hometown of Bonterre, Missouri. Whenever you need a break from the true crime genre, come on over and see us at Mostly Superheroes, a podcast that discusses TV and film, old and new, things like Airplane or Game of Thrones. We talk about it all. Come see us at MostlySuperheroes.com and listen where you get your podcast. Enjoy the rest of the show. I spoke with Dodie next. She's very careful and guarded, and I don't blame her. At the time of Jimmy Wade's murder, both Dodie and Jimmy Wade were living with their parents, and she was the last family member to see him. Hello. Hey, Dodie. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Okay. We got along really good. He's a good person. He was older. Okay. About 11 years older. What was he like? How do you remember him? I think him always being happy and how much he loved, you know, loved his girl. What's the What's the first thing you remember about him? What's your first memory with him? I think him taking care of me when I was little. He always took care of me, him and Jeannie. Mom and Dad had to work up in the city, and they all took care of me. You know, he always loved being around family. Yeah, I remember being out around my players with him a lot. You know, Uncle Mike and Uncle Bill. And went horseback riding a lot. You know, I run East Pontaire. You know, we run all over East Pontaire. Sure. And there wasn't nothing he couldn't do. Do you remember when uh, when it happened, when he was killed? Yes. I remember him getting ready to go out that night. Took a shower and we talked a little bit before he went. And, um, you know, he's getting ready to go out. But he never said where he was going or anything. But you were with him that day? Yeah. I was with him before he went out. Do you remember where were you? At my mom, my mom and dad. Sorry. Oh, you're okay. I was on mom and dad's with him. We were both living there. How did, and it, I mean, I know it was a long time ago, but how do you remember him that night? Did everything seem fine? He seemed good. Uh... He asked me what car I was taking. I, you know, told him I was getting mad or, pick, you know, he'd take whatever car he wanted to take. And, um, 
tell me that you love me. You see it. See me later. Was that the, that was the last thing he said to you? Yes, I love you. It was the last thing he said to me, my mom. When we were at the house, we left. There were several fights that night. We didn't know where Jim Wade was involved in the fight. You know, we knew that um, he had got into it with um, and a couple other people. I don't even remember. And um, somebody had knocked my mom and dad's front door. They were beating on my mom and dad's front door and told them that Jim Wade was hurt and that he was at the hospital. I had just, I went in in the front door and they were beating on it. So did you all go to the hospital? Yeah. Me and mom and dad went to the hospital. And there were several people there at the hospital, his friends. Do you remember who was there at the hospital? Yeah. Do you want me to say he was there? I can tell you some of the people that were there. I would I would love for to know who who was there at the hospital that night. I know there. There. The one beating on the door. Um on dad's house. You say the one beating on the door? Yes. So my mom's way was hurt and went to the hospital. Yeah, she needed to get there as soon as possible. When they told us that David White was a, was arrested, we kind of went with that. That's what we were told by the cops. Right. That David White did it. It's a small comfort that Jimmy Wade's last words to his parents, his wife, and his baby sister, Dodie, were, I love you. His family was not the type of family to let words of love and attachment go unsaid, but I can't help but wonder if there were other things that needed to be said. Dodie saw him last, but she said Jimmy Wade did not seem to be in fear for his life. He seemed like himself, happy-go-lucky Jimmy. Nothing better than a good time. I spoke with Jeannie last. In the months and years following the murder, Jeannie investigated Jimmy Wade's death extensively. In fact, a lot of the documents in the twins' Jimmy Bible are from Jeannie's research. After talking with her, it's obvious that it took a toll on her and her family begged her to let it go. It seems she's still trying to let it go, 30 years later. My name is Jeannie Pinson, and Jimmy was my brother, my older brother. Me and Jimmy are 21 months apart. And I don't have a memory of that him. Uh, when I was young, I was brought home to the hospital. Jimmy told mom that I was his baby. And, and I was. And I was truly blessed with a brother who um, just gave me unconditional love. We were... Because Steve, <clears throat> when you see him, I was not far behind. <laughs> yeah. uh, we did everything together when we shot. We rode horses. We uh, went swimming. Went to the river. Um, you know, just anywhere he was, I was. And it never was, um, Mom, can you please make her stay home? It's like, Jean, ready to go? You know, it just, uh, I was a tomboy. Loved the horses, loved the swim, you know. So, but it was just, um, he, he just, from day one, I was his. 
so between the two of us, we, you know, we was quite mischievous. Um, we, you know, we, we lived in the city, and we moved down here when I was eight, and me and Jimmy basically were in the same grade, because Jimmy's birthday was late, and I made the cut. So we went to school in the same grade. Oh, wow. I didn't know so, that. So everybody thought we were twins. We roamed these Fonterra. You know, and back then it was different times. These Fonterra, nowadays, it's, you know, back then, you know, we went to Grandma Cleta's every day, you know, during the summer. And, and, and you know, so we, she kind of kept fillers out for us through, you know, the people that she knew, Ma Lawson and, uh, you know, other, other, the Mansers and other people that lived in the area. So she knew everybody who would be made. I said, as far as my childhood, I don't have a memory without you. Wow. You know, I, I was I was truly blessed having him in my life. What was important to Jimmy? What did he hold near and dear the most? His family. Them two girls. I remember when, whenever he had them. And um, back then, it was community hospital, and they wouldn't let you come in and see them. You know, the dad, yes, but, you know, extended family, no. And back then, community hospital was one floor. So we went searching the hospital for his room. Well, we found the room. And he held the girls up, and he said, this is A, and this is B. And I mean... It was just like uh, the look on his face. Uh, I mean, I don't think his chest could have been any bigger. Oh but he held them babies up, and and they just they found out they was having twins like a week before the twins were actually born. You know, so you know, <laughs> quite the surprise. But yeah, he, yeah, he was so proud that night. God, I'll never forget it. A and B, his buddy called. What was um. How was his relationship with your mom and dad? Um, mom, we, when we were growing up, um, I had a very good mother. And, you know, mom loved us all. But I always knew there was something different about Jimmy and mom's relationship. Not necessarily that she loved him more. She just loved him differently than she did as girls. And I have daughters and I have a son. And now as a mom myself, I understand that. You know, that the difference. Their relationship was different than mine was, you know, and Dana's a mom. And I ne- it never was a jealousy thing. I it just that's just the way it was. Mom loved Jimmy differently. What was his life like around that time? Well you- Jimmy had a um had went through rehab. He, he, Jimmy had problems with alcohol. And he, he had got out of rehab. And he was trying, you know, he was trying. And you know how, you know how that goes. You know, that runs, that runs in our family. Yep. <laughs> obviously. So, um, but, um, yeah, I did. As we got older, and Jimmy, Jimmy hung around with people I don't know, he just didn't see the bad in them. You know, he's seen the good in everybody. 
there was some redeeming quality in every person. Now, if he didn't like you, <laughs> you better look out <laughs> because uh, he would, he would, you know, he was a scrapper. You know, I'm just going to put it out there. He, he, didn't mind, he didn't mind scrap, you know what I mean? <laughs> and back in them days, you know, there wasn't knives and guns and you had a problem, you know, just like generally like boys do. You know, if you, you know, when you was growing up, you had a problem with a friend. You just, you, you guys were on the ground and tussling and fighting out, and then next thing, you're best buds again. That's you it. know, slug it out and yeah. then hug it out. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, but yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, during that our later years, Jimmy, we were always close when we were young. But, but when you're doing stuff that you know your family don't approve of, you tend to put up walls. And so the Jimmy I knew as a young child that never put a, a wall to me, he, he had to put, put, lock me out of that too. Whenever, once we buried him, because we, um, his birthday was the 16th and they did an autopsy. We buried the 18th. He would have been 30 years old. And then the questions in my mind, you know, it was like we had a task. The task was get you a funeral, you know, behind my brother. And that was the task at hand. And uh, then the questions. I talked to people. Me, my, my husband, um, my daughter was 11 months old. Chelsea was 11 months old. And Jimmy always called her Charlie. I don't know why. Um, I guess for the next two years. We, we questioned people. We asked people. Kevin went in for the autopsy. Um, we talked to the police. We talked to people in the neighborhood. We talked to anybody that would talk to us. And I, I never, the stories were always, you, you, you'll ask the questions expecting an answer, right? Mm -hmm. But all you got was more questions. Does that make sense? It does. It seems so uh, strange that there were people there and nobody saw what happened. When I lost Jimmy, it took me to my knees. And so all this is really hard for me because the hardest thing to do was find a place in my heart to put them. Because not only did I have to put my brother in the grave, but when you have to kind of let something go and come to a point where you realize you can't solve this. So that means that it's, it's time to, to move on. So which in turn means you have to put this on in a place. But, you know, you see all the evil on TV, you see the murders and, you know, um, and I guess the hardest thing for me was I knew when I put this away, I had to put the evil in there too. I couldn't just put my brother there. Everything that surrounds his death had to go with it. And that's a hard thing. I don't ever forget his birthday. I don't ever forget the day he died. I can close my eyes to see him in the coffin. As children growing up, 
I thought he'd be there for all the, all the things, you know what I'm saying? The wedding, the birth of his grandchildren. It never dawned on me that he wouldn't be there. So for me, I camp this down pretty hard, you know what I'm saying? I do. I, I love girls, and that's why I'm talking to you. So I, I, I keep it, I keep a tight rein on it. And when the, and I don't remember which one it was, Angela, Andrea. And if I'm rambling, I'm sorry. No, please. I'm, I'm cut, cut out whatever you want. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm open uh, ears. Whenever the girls brought this to me, and they, they called me and said, team, we're going to, you know, start looking into that case. My husband was standing there, Chris, and the horror on his face that I would go back to that dark place. And I told him, I said, I can't do this. You know, I, I can't go back there because that's the darkest place I've ever been in my life. And I wasn't sure if I could come out of it. I watched mom and dad <clears throat> lose their only son. And literally, it, my mother gave up. She died at 58 years old. She never got over losing you. Never. It was just like it um, absolutely just took the life right out of her. Dana, Jimmy Wade, Jeannie, and Dodie were all born in St. Louis, Missouri. Their parents had moved to Bonterre to raise their children in a safer environment and to be with the larger Martin family. That's how close the Martins were. Jimmy Wade's dad, Jim, and his brothers, Jerry, Dan, Bill, Mike, and their sister, Donna, all moved to live in the same town to be together, to have dinner on Sundays together, to celebrate the 4th of July together, and any other holiday. Most importantly, to have their kids grow up together. Now that you've heard from the people who knew him best, what do you think? Was he the kind of man who would have chased a frightened stranger? Or was he the kind of man who would gang up on another who was outnumbered three to one? We know he had been in fights, and we know that he wasn't the kind of man who would go looking for trouble, but he also wasn't the kind of man who would back down when trouble found him. I think the most valuable lesson I learned from him I was in first grade, and we're sitting there at the dinner table having spaghetti, and he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, there's a boy at school. He keeps taking my kickball every day. Every day he takes my kickball. He said, what are you gonna do about it? I was like, what can I do? He said, you go to school and you kick his ass. I said, I can. <laughs> I can? He's like, if you don't stand up for yourself or defend yourself, you're gonna get picked on and whatever. And so all night, I'm thinking about this because I have permission now. So <laughs> I'm like, wonder if school calls you. I'll take care of that. You just handle, handle your business. I'm like, all right. So the next day I'm ready. I'm like, when he takes my kickball, it's on. Sure enough, he comes and I grabbed him and I whooped him and he was crying. He had not, not <laughs> running down his face. and. I beat the tar out of that boy. 
Ed, I get home and a couple days later, Dad said, that kid take your kickball? I said, yeah, I did. He said, did you kick his ass? I said, yeah, I did. He goes, I said, he was snotting and crying. He's like, that's my girl. I understand that the murder happened 31 years ago. And you may even think what some people have said to the girls, to move on, that nothing can bring Jimmy Wade back. But you don't know. You can't know, unless it has happened to your family. The pain never goes away. When someone in your family is murdered, the whole family is touched by evil. There's no moving on from that. Not unless something good happens to right it. And that's what we're looking for. Someone to come forward, to be brave, to do something good. To bring justice for this family. Next time on Small Town Forgotten. I was going to go in there like a raging lunatic, but once I got face to, actually, it was different than what, you know, because you imagine that your whole life, like, I'm going to come face to face with this man sometime because she will find him. She will hunt him down. Like, (laughs) she don't back down from anything. And, um... I knew I was gonna come face to face. And then as we investigated more and more and what the evidence was leading us to, my first interaction with him was nothing like I'd imagined. I, did you ask him if he did it? Oh yeah. Yes. You asked David Bryan why mm-hmm. And what did he say? He said, whenever I picked up Small Town Forgotten is presented by Blueburn Productions, writer and executive producer Vanessa Martin, creative and executive producer Ashton Holsey, director and executive producer Sean Lee Martin, and myself. Small Town Forgotten is produced in association with Vagrant Media Productions, Brett Wiley, Jake Delaloy, Caleb Cook. Podcast distribution and digital strategy by Logan Janis with Kerrigan Ventures. Original music written and performed by Todd Holsey. For more information, please visit smalltownforgotten.com. Please like, follow, and subscribe on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Special thanks to the twins, Andrea and Angela, for their perseverance. I'm your host, Chris Holsey. Thanks for listening to Small Town Forgotten.